you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. And I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who have created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share the stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well endowed. On today's episode, we meet Alexis Hilliard, creator of Stump Kitchen, and a millennial trying to make her way. There's been a lot of talk about the millennial generation, from their spending habits to civic engagement to their relationship with technology and generally their influence in the world around them. This year, we're dedicating our Vital Signs report to exploring millennials. Vital Signs is an annual checkup to measure how Edmonton community is doing. And this year, we'll be releasing a quarterly Vital Topics, each focusing on a different aspect of millennial life. That's right. ECF and the Edmonton Social Planning Council are working together to research statistics and trends about millennials to get a sense of what life is like for this generation in the Edmonton area. The first topic is about financial reality of millennials. Turns out that financial reality can be pretty challenging for many people in this generation. So Elizabeth, you're the team lead for the Vital Signs Reports here at ECF. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the findings in the report and maybe starting with how do we define what a millennial is exactly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, A millennial is anyone born between the years of 1981 and 1996. Um, Sometimes they're called Generation Y because they follow Generation X. Um, So, you know, we've had, everyone's heard of a baby boomer. Generation X followed the baby boomers and millennials follow them. So they are basically people between the ages of 24 and 39. Um, They do have a very different financial reality. They are working more and studying more to actually have less. So some of the issues in their lives that that are realities is things like childcare. Many of them are waiting to have children until later in life. Um, First-time mothers in Canada in 2016, their average age was 30.8, which is the latest that it's ever been as a cohort. Um, And so they're putting off having children. And then when they do have children, they have um, very high childcare issues to deal with. Um, The average monthly cost for an infant is about $975 here in Edmonton. And then thirdly, we also look at, you know, housing and how that's affected by their income. You know, quite a number of them stay in home with their parents for a much longer period of time. Uh, More of them are renting. Uh, And while most of them say that they do want to own their own home at some point, um, that's a harder reality for them. It takes almost nine years to save for an average down payment here in Edmonton. Yeah, and millennials are the most educated generation in Canadian history, with 70% of them holding a post-secondary certificate, diploma, or degree, and they have a higher medium income than previous generations. But while that all sounds great, they also have a higher debt level and face a highly competitive labor market. Yeah, cue the side hustle. Between 2008 and 2018, the number of Canadian workers who held more than one job at the same time increased from a little over 700,000 to more than 1 million people. All this got us wondering, what does a typical millennial's budget look like? So we asked our correspondent, Emily Rendell Watson, to spend a day in the life with Alexis Hilliard to find out how she handles her finances. Alexis kindly opened her door to Emily to share her experience. Her door and her monthly e-statements. All right, ready? Here we go. I like to eat, 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 peoples and paninis. I like to eat, eat, 
that's Alexis Hilliard. She's a 38-year-old Edmontonian, and yes, that makes her a millennial. Teaching a weekly ukulele class is just one of the ways that she makes money. In fact, she has many sources of income. My main job is Stump Kitchen, my YouTube channel. It's all about gluten-free vegan cooking. The point is about celebrating diverse bodies. I was born without my left hand, and the word I use to describe my arm is, is stump. About four or five years ago when I started to cook, when I became vegan, I was a little nervous to get into the kitchen, but once I slowly started with some easy, easy recipes from online and got into the kitchen, I realized that I was using my stump as a cooking tool, as like a spatula and like potato masher and a lemon juicer. And it was just so joyful and cool. And I loved how like embodied it was. And my partner and others at the time were like, you should film this. It's really fun and cool. And just show people what you do in the kitchen. And I was like, sure. Okay. And the rest is history. <laughs> like people just really liked it and they wanted more from some spinoffs from that. I do uh, cooking classes like private classes or birthday parties or group workshops um, having to do with vegan gluten-free cooking. I also do speaking gigs at organizations and schools about Stump Kitchen and about you know cooking and limb difference and accessibility. Once in a while I'll do a large-scale catering gig also related to Stump Kitchen. I work one day a week at a cafe downtown. I also teach uh, one half day a week at a junior high. I teach their cooking class. I also sub for a school, so I teach all different grades um, whenever they need me. I'm also a sub for choirs on Saturday mornings if they need a section leader or a director. Once in a blue moon, I'll do contracts for CBC parents and CBC kids making videos for their platforms. And I think that's it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's it. The median income for Edmonton millennials in 2017 was $45,500. So I started out by asking Alexis what she makes yearly. <laughs> it depends on the year, but I think I'm around uh, 29, I think was my last tax year total. Yeah, so roughly 29000 a year right now. <laughs> Uh, I don't make much money on YouTube itself for my videos. I probably make anywhere between like $1 and $4 per video if I'm lucky on the advertising money and stuff. But I have a really awesome Patreon audience, people signing up through the Patreon platform, uh, giving a dollar a month or $5 a month to support my work. And that's where I get a good chunk of my income. I think if I just was relying on one, it would be way too stressful and it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. I think it came... All these side hustles became a necessity, but luckily they're all things that I love doing so, so much. And the majority of them are either stemming directly from Stump Kitchen or they're related to it. Um, and it doesn't feel like work. And I, I've had other opportunities to do other part-time jobs or I've had, you know, little offers or little, little things come up. I've learned to kind of say yes and no to what feels good for my soul. And because if, if I say yes to things that don't quite jive with what my, what I think my purpose is and what my passion is, then all of my energy that goes to that thing is almost like wasted energy. Like I don't have it to put towards my videos and my, you know, teaching and, and what, and whatnot. So as long as I'm doing things that fit with my heart and fit with what I really, really need and want to do in the world, then it's so much easier to say yes to it.
the concept of gig economy, having a number of side hustles is something that I think as millennials, it's become more and more common for people to do. And why do you think that that's become so common? And is it sustainable to to do that? I think it really depends on the person. But I, I think just speaking from my perspective, I would feel too constricted or maybe even bored by one thing. And so perhaps people are doing it because they you know, are wanting to do more than just one job. And of course, others are doing it out of necessity and, you know, trying to make ends meet, etc. I also think that millennials are super creative and kind of like to get their, their hands and limbs into multiple pots in a creative way. Did you ever think that doing something like YouTube would be a job or that you'd be able to make money off of it. This is really the first generation where Mm -hmm. doing something like YouTube can be a viable way of actually making money to live off of. Yeah. So it's not something that I ever grew up thinking about or even in my, you know, adult years thought about, but it was always in my psyche because I knew, like I watched YouTube tons when, you know, I was urged to kind of make this first video and when I did, that's kind of when a little spark came on in my brain and I was like, huh, this could actually like be a thing. I didn't really think about it being a source of income necessarily. Um, I just thought about it being a, a real project that I could add to my life and it could add value to my life and to others. And then as it kind of, you know, spiraled and kind of grew, and then I found out about Patreon, it was at that point that I thought, okay, if this is where my energy and passion is going and where it I think it frankly needs to go, then why not make a go of it? And that's when I was like, oh yeah, like YouTube is a thing that you can do for a living. You can be a content creator. I think the assumption is that like to be a YouTuber, you need a million subscribers and a million views on all your videos. So you get all that ad revenue and that's great for some people, but the majority of YouTubers are not big YouTubers. They're very small. They have modest and awesome audience bases. And so they need those other sources like Patreon, other crowdfunding things, other side hustles. So I just had to kind of get creative and here we are. What's your feeling about money and finances? I, I mostly, mostly positive, like mostly it's okay. I have enough to survive on and not a whole heck lot more, (laughs) but I, I've been able to live a life more lately that is very just focused on I guess the, the things that I find important it's a little bit more minimal but not really minimalist just like a little a little less consumption based maybe I spend a lot of money on food like really good food and really awesome kitchen equipment so I have a knife set that's probably worth twelve hundred dollars um, that I've collected over the past few years. I, I don't I don't want to compromise on the stuff that I'm putting into my body and the things that I'm cooking with. Would you be willing to show me your knife collection? Absolutely. Okay. Here are the knives. So I don't have names for them because I don't know. They're knives. And they say that like your knives aren't really your knives until one of them has cut you (laughs) and all of these are my knives they've all cut me in one way or another nothing dangerous just like little you know pricks here and there but I love them they're all made in Japan they're all from knifeware on White Ave and I love the feel I love the weight um yeah having things in the kitchen that you enjoy like enjoy looking at enjoying holding enjoying using if you don't have that you're not going to want to cook and so I try to put everything in my kitchen 
that feels good, looks good, is accessible, is fun to use. You know, if I buy something from a store and it's a really hard container to open for me with one hand, I will not buy that again. I'll get something else that's a bit more accessible because I think the kitchen is some place that you can have so much enjoyment and so much fun. And so why not make it beautiful? This is like what you like to spend your money on. This is absolutely my guilty pleasure. And I mean, if I had unlimited sources of income, I would just cover my wall in knives. Where, where does your money go? (laughs) Rent. (laughs) I pay my rent. Um, that's probably the most of it. Rent and food. And I pay my things like car insurance in lump sums. So to keep my monthly costs low, because I, absolutely hate monthly bills so so much our rent in here is uh it's 1050 and it's split between two of us so it's only i'm doing air quotes only 525 but then you have like your utilities and your internet and your phone and all that kind of stuff and we're going to be moving into a place that's going to be almost double that like maybe like 18 19 with utilities and stuff because it's a house so that's going to be scary but i think we're ready for it we're just going to keep hustling and make it and make it work. I have two credit cards, a MasterCard and a MasterCard. <laughs> two MasterCards, wow. And I'll I'll take a look. Oh, there's the skip the dishes bill. <laughs> so I have a monthly cost for my website, about 21 bucks. I do G Suites monthly for my email, my my professional email, etc, etc. I pay monthly costs for probably about I'd say $50 maximum a month on captioning services for my episodes through web.com. Oh, we just went to Canmore. So I spent $50 on soap at Canmore at Rocky Mountain Soap Company. So I guess it's another thing that I won't skimp on is like body products. Anything that goes in or on my body, I'm just like, yes, please. Oh, there's some gas. Yeah, of course. Oh, there's a gift from my partner that will remain a secret. Oh, Vistaprint. So I order a lot of my stickers and mugs and things that like little merch that I have available that I give out to kids or sell on my website. I use Vistaprint for maybe like two thirds of that. So that's kind of like every couple of months I'll use them. Oh, there's Boy. I love Boy in Edmonton. It's so good. Yeah. So those are kind of like some of the, some of the ways that I spend my money. I try to evaluate my personal spending choices around what's going to bring me joy versus stress. And so another example is I don't buy anything new in terms of clothing anymore. I used to all the time, especially when I had really intense and stressful jobs, like nine to five jobs, because there's an expectation in those environments that you have to dress a certain way. And that is expensive. Oh my gosh. Like I would drop in one shopping spree, maybe $500 and like more than once a year. Like it was just ridiculous. And now in my more comfortable and more chill and different environment type jobs, I can either wear a house coat to work when I'm editing or I'll buy things used from Value Village or whatever. But that's something that I use to help keep my costs way less than they used to be with the clothing expenditures. (laughs) So yeah. Do you have any student debt or do you have any debt that you're paying off? No student debt. So my parents, when I was born, they they paid into that government thing, uh, education fund. They got one for my sister and myself, which is something I'm going to do for our future kids as well. It helped to pay for my post-secondary. So I was really, really lucky that they did that for us. And then in my master's, I was able to pay for that on my own. And then I got a couple scholarships that helped with the rest of the cost. The only debt I guess that I have is I 
own a condo downtown, so I have a mortgage with that, but a chunk of it's paid off, <laughs> not the majority of it, um, but I have a renter in there who's lovely, so that kind of helps cover the, the costs there. I've had that for maybe four or five years, and then eventually the plan is to sell it when the market is good and hopefully make a little bit of money back. I don't know if I would do that again, looking back on it, because of the way that the housing market is now, but it was a neat adventure to try, like to be a property owner and, and renter. How did you make that decision that you wanted to invest money in that? So that was at a time when I, that was before Stump Kitchen, before I had left one of my higher paying jobs. And so I was quite a bit more financially secure. So I had a good chunk of savings for a down payment and it's just one of those things that you think is a good idea. You're like, oh, I should buy property. It's a good investment for down the road, which I don't actually think is completely true. I think it depends on the market and where you're buying and, and you have to really be savvy. So I think basically I did it because it's was just in the, the cultural sphere of like, you should do this. It's a good it's a good thing to do financially. It's just something that you hear. And also it's stressful if you if you're not living in it and you have to have renters, then are you going to do that on your own? Or are you going to hire a rental company to do it for you? And if you do, that's going to cost you money. If you have a few dry months where you don't have a renter in it, that's horrible. Like I remember the first or the second year I had it, I had four months without a renter. So I was like paying rent in two places basically. And it was hard. It was very, very hard. I had to dig into a lot of my, my minimal savings I had at the time and it kind of got exhausted. So yeah, I have mixed opinions about buying property. I think renting honestly is so great and people think, oh, you're just throwing your money away, but I don't think so. I think renting is like, you have a lot more freedom. You can move different places. You're going to be paying at least that much on a mortgage anyway, probably for 30 years. And you might need to like remortgage your house if you need to do, if, if an emergency comes up. So, you know, the money, it's going to be going somewhere eventually anyway. I just, I like renting a lot. <laughs> How long did it take to save for a down payment? So I had more well-paying, intense jobs, but also at the time my expenses were very low. I didn't own any property. I didn't have any debts. I had low, you know, low rent because I was living just on my own. I, I still didn't spend too, too much at the time. And so I was able to save monthly and put away money into investments and stuff. So for me to, to save for a down payment for the condo, probably three or four years. But I honestly, at the time, I was saving money just because I didn't know where to spend it and I wanted to save it because, and I didn't know what I was saving for. And so when the condo opportunity came up, I was like, oh, this, this is a good, this is a good idea. This is what I'll, what I'll spend this chunk of money on for a down payment. So, yeah. So what kinds of things are you saving for right now? Aside from the things that you're spending on a daily or weekly, monthly basis, what are you saving for long-term? So my partner and I are expecting our first baby in May. And as soon as the baby's born, we're going to start uh, saving for their education fund. Um, so that'll be one one thing. Also, um, rather than just kind of buying a house down the road, we are looking into the possibility of buying some land and then building like a small custom eco-friendly net zero home which is becoming a lot more accessible in Edmonton and then therefore with that house in the long run the overall costs would be lower because it would be more efficient and eco-friendly etc and plus I just feel good about leaving that behind after I pass away versus I don't know getting a house that might not be as efficient or a little bit harder on the environment 
those are the main things right now, just potential land and building of a house and then our kids' education. Eventually, we're going to have to buy a new car, um, but we buy used anyway. So that'll be something to save for. But those are the main those are the main things. And I guess retirement, but I don't know. It's kind of far away still. But I have uh, a couple different, like two different funds that one can be for house stuff and one can be for potential retirement that are definitely not large by any means, but they're they're there and they're growing and I'm putting mon- money into them every month. So yeah, those are the those are the main things I think. Obviously, children are very expensive, and one of the biggest things is childcare. What does that look like? Are you nervous about spending that on a monthly basis? So that's a great question, and for some reason, this whole pregnancy, I'm not nervous about the finances, and I probably should be, but I just have been so happy to be pregnant and happy to be doing this. I haven't been too stressed. And my partner and I, because we do the work that we do, the majority of my work I do is at home, and she does a lot of work at home as well. So we're going to come up with a schedule where we can still work. She's actually working towards maternity leave right now or parental leave um, through all the jobs that she's doing so she can take a good chunk of time off with the baby. And for me, that doesn't really work that way because it just doesn't work that way with YouTube. <laughs> like I can't, you'd have to like make a bunch of videos in advance and, you know, pause Patreon for a while. But I, I, I think for me, I'm going to need to keep working and, and keep creating, but just do that for, for a few months. But our, our hope and goal is that we can do a lot of the care on our own. And maybe that's not a realistic goal. And, but right now we're looking at it, like we're going to figure this out. It's going to be okay. And because we have a little bit of savings here and there, we can, do childcare in an emergency situation if we find like oh we got to start monthly with daycare or whatever that's something that we could we we might have enough for at the time to start but also cross that bridge as we get there and move things around to make it to make it work or just buy less knives no just kidding I'll never buy less knives depending on what people are able to do for their job they either can or can't access different models yeah I see a lot of my friends doing you know wonderful full-time jobs and they constantly need to work because they constantly need to afford childcare so they can have you know take care of their child and and that works for a lot of people and that's that's great but I'm hoping that with our modest income and working from home we won't need to be making quite as much because we'll be at home and not having to put money into childcare and then also spend more, more time with the baby. But I, I do know that we will be okay no matter what happens. We'll figure out a way to, to make it work, I hope. Touch wood. Where did you learn about managing your money and what have you learned over the years about money and how you spend it? Yeah, I don't really know where. I think um, we maybe a bit for my dad growing up he was you know pretty good with five-year plans and writing stuff down you know I had a bank account early that I could put my allowance in or whatever Um, but I think the biggest like switch for me was I was in I'm in choir I sing in a choir as well I was in my like early 20s I think and I had a friend who was a financial advisor and she was like hey have you ever thought about investing and I was like what's that (laughs) what do you mean And she took me to her office and told me all about it. And so I started investing money with her in different like mutual funds, et cetera, and different like tax-free savings accounts and stuff like that. Um, It sounds like I have so many, but I don't. (laughs) And uh, that was like a huge help to help me figure out, okay, what, what am I making in a month? What can I put away for the long term? Because I think as millennials, especially ones that are doing a lot of side hustles, 
who may not have like they're not paying into a pension plan or you know doing stuff independently having some kind of a long-term savings plan or goal uh, for me anyway helps me feel less stressed if I have a bad month or if one of my side hustles falls through so I think meeting with her and getting some of her tips around monthly budgets and just having a realistic sense of where your money goes and really looking at your money and not being scared to open up your credit card bill or your your checking account to to kind of see where you're at like I look at my money at least every three days like constantly maybe every two I'm very very on top of it and as soon as I have something on my credit card I pay it off immediately I don't know where those habits formed I think I've just always been I've never wanted to be uncomfortable financially but I don't I don't really know I think it's just I had good good modeling from her and from the people around me at the time living modestly has been okay for me like I don't feel pressure to have a new car and a big house and beautiful clothes and the new iPhone, I don't put that pressure on myself. Therefore, because I don't have those external pressures, I'm able to spend less and because of that, I'm able to not get stressed out about the little amount of money that I have works out being the perfect amount. It's not too much, it's not too little, it's just a nice comfortable amount that doesn't stress me out too much, but it keeps me on my toes. Like I do have to be very watchful and mindful and I'm not going to be buying, you know, a $4,000 surfboard <laughs> in, in the future. Yeah, I'm lucky that I, it's not too, too stressful in the long run. Thanks very much to Emily Rendell Watson for bringing us that story and to Alexis Hilliard for generously sharing her financial experience as a millennial. Of course, one example doesn't speak for the entire generation. Millennials are, after all, a very diverse and inclusive generation. So while many will resonate with Alexis' story, others will have a different experience to draw from. Um, In overall, generally, this cohort is working and studying more to have less. They have a higher education, but also higher student debt. They're squeezed by stagnant incomes and a difficulty to find good jobs. They struggle with high costs for things like housing and childcare, and they spend too little time at home. And they face mounting debt. So this is our our cohort that what we're looking at in terms of millennials and how their finances are working for them. Right. And if you're curious to see all of the facts and stats we found for the vital topic on the financial reality of millennials, head on over to our show notes. We'll have a link to the report and to the resources used to create it. This is going to be the first of four vital topics focusing on millennials. What other areas are we going to be looking at coming up? Well, we'll be looking uh, next at uh, advocacy. So that would include things like philanthropy and voting and volunteering and different things that just, um, you know, get millennials charged up. So who, what are they out there protesting for? So that's what we're going to be talking about next. Um, we'll then move into technology and the millennial relationship with technology. This is the first cohort that grew up with um, an iPhone basically. So they've always had technology. They've always had online banking. This is something completely different. So um, how are they working with technology in their lives? And then finally, we're going to look at trends. Um, Because millennials are such a large cohort, they are actually creating trends in buying and selling and um, stores and how people do things. They're changing our world in ways that we wouldn't really expect, but that's because of their preferences. 
And we will be sending Emily Rendell Watson out into the field again uh, for each of those three remaining topics to bring us uh, some stories right here to the podcast. All right, listeners, we have some great student awards available for you. Yes, Belco Brasso Métis Awards. These awards range from two to $10,000 and are for Métis students who are residents of Alberta. And there are the Winspear Scholarships for Advanced Classical Music and the Renald and Virachine Memorial Scholarship. Both of these awards focus on students who will study classical music. The deadline to apply for all of these awards is March 31st, so check our show notes for links for more information. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks to all of you amazing listeners for tuning in. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with your friends. All of your friends. And if you have time, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help new listeners find us. You can also follow us on Facebook. That's a good place to see pictures and share your thoughts. Thanks again for hanging out with us. We've been your hosts, Elizabeth Bonking. And Andrew Paul. Until Until next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.